uh, awesome scriptures in the Old Testament. This chapter, we are really on holy ground. I mean, when you talk about holy ground in the Bible, teaching in the Bible, this chapter is that because this is the history. This is the account, the biblical account of Abraham offering his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. And uh, there's just, the story has so much. There's prophecy in the story. There's the prefiguring of, of Christ in the sense that, that everything that we see in here just is a picture of what's to come. Uh, but what a beautiful story here in Abraham's life. This is his test, the ultimate test. And that's really what I've called this section here, Abraham's ultimate test. He's been in tests throughout his life as we've seen, but this test is not to produce faith. The other tests are really to move him along in his walk and life of faith. This test will reveal, finally, it's going to reveal his faith. A beautiful section, Abraham's ultimate test. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I thank you for the word. And as, as we come to your word tonight, we just ask, Father, that you would help us to understand and not only that, at the end of this study, I know there's some great application for us as your children to offer those things that we hold too tightly, to offer the most precious things in our life, to offer those things back to you. You give us all things. And Lord, we, we just hold too tightly to things in our life, things that are so lovely and precious, things that you've given to us. Lord, there's times that we hold on to those that we lose sight of you. And I pray that this study would help us come to that place where we just release those things to you. And once again, we're, we're just pliable and obedient and, and in, just filled with your Holy Spirit and in your joy. Lord, that's really where we want to be, in your joy. And so teach us tonight as we read this text, as we uh, study this text, as we apply this text. And Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said... Let's read just a few verses here in chapter 22, Genesis 22. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Notice those comments there. Those are super, super, super important. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abram rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. So, verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, here I am, my son. Uh, Dad, look at the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now, as you know, we've been studying the life of Abraham since uh, September of last, it's, it's September actually. Uh, of a year ago. So we, we've been in this book, the study of Genesis over a year now, and we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot since uh, September 2016. That's when we began our study of, of this life of Abraham, and we've been studying his life, and we've been watching him and Sarah blunder and fail and stumble in obedience to God. They've, they've really struggled, haven't they? And Abraham hasn't done the right things all the time. He's been a liar. He's been involved in, in all kinds of, of things that God had not wanted him to be a part of, but he is stumbling and he's growing. He's, we've seen growth in his life. 
And it's been like 30 years now. God, 30 years ago, had asked he to leave. He asked Abraham, Abraham at that time to leave his family and to leave Ur of the Chaldees. That was the first request that God had of him. I'll show it to you. I'm going to rip through these really fast. Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, notice, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So this first <clears throat> test of faith was to get him away from his family who was Steeped in idolatry, his dad, the people, the country, ziggurats. Remember the pictures I showed you, the worship temples of the false idols in Ur of the Chaldees? They were known for building these ziggurats. And they were just worship places. They made sacrifice. They had idol worship. And God had to get Abram out of that land that was so filled with idolatry. And God is taking away things in Abraham's life so that Abraham will finally be this man that he can produce a nation of people that will walk by faith and not by sight and won't build idols anymore, but they'll trust in the living God. This is the goal that God has, but he's got to get him out of that country. So he says, I want you to leave. I'm not going to tell you where to go. I just want you to leave. So his first act of faith and obedience was to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Then in chapter 13, God made a covenant with him. And it starts different than we've seen the covenant kind of morph a little bit. It changes. It begins in chapter 13, and it's in verse 14. I have this scripture up for you as well. It begins, and the Lord said to Abram, lift your eyes and look now to the place where you are. And he gives him the vision of this area, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I'm going to give to you and your descendants. So number one, God promises Abram land. That's number one. And then number two, he promises this 70-year-old man that has no children, no kids. He promises him descendants. He said, I'm going to give this land to your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the, notice, here's where the, the, the covenant, it's real and it's alive, but it changes. He starts with dust. Notice it's the dust of the earth. Your descendants, I know you don't have any, but see all the dust around you? Your descendants are going to be more than dust. I mean, that's a lot of descendants, right? And so, again, Abram's got to, by faith, trust the living God for what he's saying. And then to continue with this verse here in chapter 13, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, your descendants would also could be numbered. In other words, he's going to have this huge family, huge descendants from him. So land and descendants, that's what God promises Abraham and Sarah. And they, belong, they start their walk of faith, as I said, sloppily, they, they make lots of mistakes. They, they're very immature. But with each mistake, they are growing. And graciously, God, throughout this time, God is protecting them. God is prospering them. Why? The question is why? Here's the answer. Because God chose Abram. That's why. The Bible shows us that again and again. God chose Abraham. God divinely chose a pagan, idol-worshiping man from a, from a land of Christ, or pardon me, God-rejectors. God just reached into this nation, and he pulls out this one man, Abraham. God chose him. Listen, just as God chose you for salvation, it's exactly the same thing. There's no difference. God chose you. And did you know how? God shows you. It's, again, it's here. It's here. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as what? What? So you know that. That's how you know you've been chosen. You believe God. That's what the Bible says over and over. It begins right here in the very first book of the Bible with this man that was a pagan. Remember when you were a sinner? He pulled him right out of the culture. Remember when you were... You remember being worthless and a cur and a wretch, you know, the amazing grace, how sweet the sound of saved a what? Like who? I'm glad you're saying me. I'm glad. Oh, not me, Pastor Lee, not me. I, you wicked wretch. You were a wicked wretch, just as I was. God saved me. When? When did God save me? When I believed in Jesus Christ. Right? That's what the Bible says. Same thing here. <clears throat> and God 
had protected and prospered these two bumbling, fumbling people. Do you identify with Abraham and Sarah? Do you? How many in here identify? Raise your hand. Let me see. I, I love to identify with them because I'm the same kind of person. I don't do everything right. Do you? Haven't, didn't you start your walk of faith real immature, but you're growing? Are you growing? I hope that you're growing. That's how we identify with this man. It's really important for us to understand. This man's faith in God changed him from a pagan to a saint by believing in God. And it's this story that really helps us to understand that he's come all the way. He's grown and he's, he's grown. So chapter 16, God again reminds Abraham. And here's how the promise morphs. It changes just a little bit. Notice here in chapter 15. Then he brought him outside again. <clears throat> I'm going to give you descendants, but I don't have any descendants. Remember, it was his complaint here in this chapter. And then God brings Abraham outside the tent. Here it is recorded for us in chapter 15. He said, now I want you to look to heaven. Count the stars if you're able can you number the stars? I love the way God does this. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So it was dust. Remember the dust? Now it's the stars. He takes them outside and said, look up. See all these stars outside? And again, you have to imagine a, a, a electricity-less country, a place where there's, and he's in the desert looking up at the stars. It, it's just phenomenal when you can see the Milky Way. Can you count those? I can't count them. So shall your descendants be. And notice what it says at the end of this verse. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. It was his belief in the Lord. He didn't believe the Lord. He's like, Lord, I don't have any descendants. I will. How can I believe you, Lord? And he says, look, Abram, look. See this? Your descendants are going to be like that. That's when he said, I believe you. I believe you, Lord. Very important, again, throughout Scripture, Abraham is presented like, or to us, as the great example of a man who lived by faith. Here's a couple of Scriptures real quick. Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He did that by faith. And then James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. All of these scriptural, I mean, that's special, is it not? When you read that, doesn't it increase your faith even now? Because it was when you believed in Jesus Christ that you were taken out of Adam, out of death, and out of sin, and placed into the light, and the precious son of Jesus, because of all that he's done. That's when God changed you. Oh, Pastor Lee, I, I, I kind of get it, but I didn't really feel changed. But as you study, and as you bumble and stumble in your walk of faith, God teaches you more and more. And I'll tell you, when you understand this, and when you read about it, and you glory in it, it just makes God magnificent. It makes him bigger than all your problems. It makes him bigger than anything in your life. And you're just so grateful. And we'll, our church will just keep filling up because we have people that, that love the Lord, that believe in Jesus Christ. Like those Sunday morning second service, five people raise their hand to accept the Lord. The, the, it's the gospel. It's, it's believing in Jesus Christ. That's the message. Going out witnessing, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That, that's the purpose of the church. And we want to add to the kingdom. We want to see that happen. But it happens just like this man here in Genesis 22. We get such a beautiful picture of it. His life, Abram's life, Abram who will be called Abraham. That's why sometimes I'll say one or the other. You get it, right? We, his name changed. But he is the one that teaches us how to walk by faith. And that's important. That's why we study his life. Because the goal of the Christian life isn't just to get a fat head and know about the Lord. The goal of the Christian life is to walk by faith. And if you don't learn that, you're going to fall in holes and you're going to stumble over things and you're going to struggle until you finally realize that, that I need to trust the Lord with everything in my life. That, that the bumps in life are what we climb over and we succeed as God helps us and leads us. But God never leads us on this smooth path. He never leads us. He leads us over the bumps. Have you ever, who notices that besides me? Have you ever noticed that before? 
It's like, why, Lord, I came to you and I gave my life to you. Why isn't everything just perfect in my life? Why? Because God doesn't want to leave you the wretch that you are. He wants you to grow and he's going to bring you through situations and hardships. In the world, you will have, Jesus said, what? What do you say? tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So we have to keep our eyes on the Lord and we have to realize he's going to lead us through these things. But we're to walk by faith. God has called every one of his children to live and to walk by faith. And this man teaches us how to do that. But, but this story that we're going to look at here, and I know I've taken quite a while to get here, but you really need to get all that. Chapter 22. This story towers above all these other stories if you're a parent, you read this story and you just go, oh, I just, this is, what? it just takes your breath away, this story. I, but it all begins here, number one, my first point, the challenge of faith, the challenge. And I'm going to go through this first eight verses kind of slow, but I, I really want you to get it. Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, just a little cold here. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, this is clearly a test. It says it right here in the text. Don't make the Bible harder than it, you, you think it is. It's very easy. Just It says he tested Abraham. That's what this is. Now, it's a trial. It's a test of his faith. But it begins with Abraham's love for God. He loves God. He has learned in his walk of faith to really love the Lord. God has prospered him. Remember when he ran from Canaan down to Egypt and he lied? What did God do when he came back? He gave more. He gave more. He prospered him. And then he did it again. He ran away from, he saw the, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah burn. And so he ran out of fear. And he lied again about his wife. No, that's my sister. That's my sister. And, and again, the Lord prospered him, gave him more than he had. This is a very, very wealthy man. He has learned through testing and trials to really trust the Lord. And he loves the Lord. And he loves his son. Oh, how he loves his son. He loved Ishmael, his son. But God took him away because that was not God's plan. That was Sarah's plan. That was Abraham's plan. It was done in the flesh. It was not accepted. He had to go. Very heart-wrenching story because I believe Abraham. This is my son. God, won't you prosper my son? He said, no, I won't. I won't. Because he was done, he was born in the flesh. And I have a, a, a wonderful plan for you. And you have to meet out or work through this whole plan of mine. To bring glory to me. It's all about bringing glory to God. Can't get glory out of this work of the flesh. So the challenge of faith here is this testing that Abraham goes through. From chapter 12 until this time, chapter 22, these last 10 chapters, Abe left his home, he left his country, he left his family, all because God called him to do so. He was in a strange land, he was a foreigner, he loved the Lord though, he's, he's getting closer and closer and he's, he's loving the Lord more and more as the years go by. And now he's going to have to prove the depth of his love. That's this challenge. That's the test. How much does he really love the Lord? We know he loves Isaac. In verse 2, God says, whom you love. He knows, God knows he loves him. Abraham knows he loves his son. But here's the application of all this. It's one thing to trust God while waiting on a promise to be fulfilled. It's one thing to say, you know, Lord, I prayed for for my spouse to get saved, or I prayed for a better job. It's one thing to pray and wait on that promise to be fulfilled. It's a whole different thing to trust God when he says, okay, I want that back now. Give me this back. I gave it to you. I want it back. Has that ever happened to you? Where God's given you something, and then he's said, now I want you to give it back to me. That's what's happening in this story. And he's going to have to learn this. Abraham and Sarah, they had waited 30 years years for God to produce a son, Isaac. And now Isaac is around 15 years old. We're not exactly sure. I'm kind of guessing at that. I, believe he's a, I think he's older than a preteen. I think he's a teenager at this point in time. He's old enough to carry some wood, some things. 
But now the Lord asked Abraham to give him back. This is the test of Abraham's, or Abraham's faith. And Abraham's learning. He's learning and he's grown to this place. And now God says, I want you to give him back to me. That's the challenge. It's going to prove his love for God. How much do you, how much do we really love the Lord? He gives us something and now he says, I want that back. Are we willing to give it right back to him? In this case, this is the, the, the promise. This is his son. This is everything to Abraham. And now God's saying, I want that back. You need to get that to understand this story. It seems brutal, and it seems such a, uh, just a, a brutal demonstration here of God asking him to bring Abraham up and offer him as, or I mean, bring Isaac up and offer him as a burnt offering here. But what God is doing is, is calling Abraham to give up the most precious thing in his life. Do you love your family or your wife or your kids more than you love God? Do you love your house, the things that you have, your possession? Do you love them more than you love God? That's really the question. What is it in your life tonight that's more precious than God? I think you have to let the Holy Spirit reveal that at the end of the study, there's going to be a moment here for you to answer that question before the Lord. I think it's a really important place. We need to give, just give up, give back those things to the Lord. In this story, Abraham is going to give what ultimately amounts to the greatest thing that he's ever had. This a great demonstration. And it prefigures, listen, it prefigures the greatest demonstration that God gave to the world in giving his only Son. That's what this is pre-picturing here for us. Another lesson about real faith here is you just can't miss, and I, this is like a little sub-note here. Real faith is always challenged. Real faith is always tested or it's always challenged. Why? Remember Lot? Remember Lot? Lot was worldly. We all know it. He was selfish. He was foolish. He could not be trusted with anything. God couldn't trust him. But he was the only righteous person in that town, remember? The New Testament calls him righteous, and God saved him out of that town. But he would never pass the test. He was known for that very thing. And his faith couldn't be challenged, but Abram's faith was challenged here. And here's the point. When God trusts you, he will test you. When God trusts you, he will test you. Why? Number one, to show you that he's going to take care of you in the test. He wants you to trust him completely. So when the test comes, cancer, when the test comes, finances, when the test comes, the loss of job, a spouse that walks out of the house, when the test comes, God's going to see you through it. Will you trust him? Will you trust him through the test? You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, believing that God has something good. As Romans 8 tells us, all things will work together for what? For those who love the Lord. That's, that's the point. And it runs throughout the Bible. So it's, it's that test. And then also to show the world. God wants to show the world through your trial and test. He wants to show the world that, that he is worthy of your faith. Irregardless of the pain of cancer or the difficulties you face financially or the loss of job. Because when somebody comes and sees you without the job and sick, why don't you just, like Job's wife, curse God and die? That's what the world says. But you say, oh, no, I, I serve a wonderful God, and he's faithful. He's going to get me through this. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with your faith? Hey, I, I have a great God. Guess, guess what happens when you, when you magnify God like that? That's what God wants. He wants you and I to magnify him. He wants to be glorified in your life. And through your trial, he can be glorified. And I know there's some stories here that would would really back that up. But I gotta move, I gotta keep moving here. The cost of faith, verse two. Notice the cost of faith. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
I love that. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, and I'll show you when you get there. Now, when you read that, we're faced with a couple of issues or problems. Number one, how could a loving God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son? How, if God really is a God of love, how could he ask him to do that? Critics have always used this story. See, your God is just capricious. He, he's just, you know, quick, too quick. He, he's unaccountable. He's, he's moody. He's, that's what capricious means. Your God is capricious. No, he isn't. Not at all. My reply is, how can a mere mortal criticize an all-powerful, almighty, sovereign God? How? Who are you, the clay? Who are you to shake your finger and question almighty God? Who are you? Clearly, God has a purpose and plan. And he's called Abram to sacrifice his only son. But the cost, when you read the story, it's, it's beyond our comprehension. It really is, and I, I admit that. When God tells Abram to take, and again, notice how costly it is. Your son, your only son, the son you love more than life itself, and offer him to me as a burnt offering. That's what I want. That's what God was asking Abraham. Can you imagine how this 115-year-old man felt? God's called me to, wait, this is the long-awaited, this is my only son. Can you imagine how Abraham felt in his humanity without the spiritual man? With, with just, just in his, this is my son. There's no record of his, his con, uh, discussion here. I, you know, it could be many different reasons for that. Remember the discussion that Abraham had with God when God said, I'm going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, he says, well, wait a minute, Lord, what, what if there's 50 there that righteous? Remember that whole thing? And he, he just, he, wait a minute, Lord, wait a minute. There's no mention of that here. He's grown in his faith. He doesn't complain he doesn't argue with God. It's really, really important. But his heart must have been broken. Now, Isaac represents this promise that comes from God. Again, let me show you real quick, Genesis 17. Then God said, no to Ishmael. No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. I'm saying no to Ishmael. You're going to have a son. I've chosen this for you, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. Notice, for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. That, that everlasting covenant is really important as you move into the New Testament. There's a big number of people in the church that have moved away from this covenant. They think it's over, and now we have a, the new covenant is Jesus. There's the new covenant, but Jesus says the new covenant is in his blood. Remember that? The, the covenant that, that God has made with Abram and with the Jewish people is an everlasting covenant. Don't ever go against Israel, church, Americans, whatever. Don't, don't vote for a president that's going to be against Israel. Don't do it because you're, you're voting against God. This, when he says everlasting covenant, I believe it's everlasting. And I, I believe the scriptures bear that out because when you get to the book of Revelation at the end of the age, who is God dealing with? His chosen people, the Jews. He's taken the church out of the world, and now he's doing, and who are the witnesses? They're Jews. And who are the, you know, 130,000, or is it, was it 130,000? Witnesses. Who are they? They're Jewish, and they can't be touched. And they go around witnessing. Who are they witnessing to? To the world, but mainly Jews. This is the biggest revival of the Jewish people, because they finally, their eyes are open, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And and they're martyred for their faith in Christ. And they're, they're killed for that. That's in the book of Revelation. But this everlasting covenant, very important for you to hear it, read it, understand it from the, this first book of the Bible and, and see it throughout. But again, back in chapter 22, God calls Abe to sacrifice his son. And Abraham must have thought, if Isaac dies, won't the promise of God die? Won't, won't it become worthless? But here's what's important to note. No negotiation. He's learned God's way above his own way. And although he's brokenhearted, I believe he's willing to trust the Lord. And that's the point. I love this. 
The point of this story, and I'm going to keep mentioning this, 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 this text here, Genesis 22, is to, to elevate the greater story, the, the greatest story of God's great love, and that's our Father in heaven gave up his only son in which he loved there's a lot of similarities in this story, and I hope you'll see them again. Let me show you real quick these three points here. You can put all three of them up. Your son, here in Genesis, Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a son is given. Your only son, Genesis, John three sixteen, only begotten son. And then whom you love, Matthew 7, 5, this is my beloved son. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John? You see the similarity there? When God looks at humanity throughout the ages today, when he looks at humanity in the world, he loves, he loves so much that he sent his only son because that's the only way that people can be saved. There's only one way. You can't save yourself. You're not, you can never obey the law. You can never be good enough. God intervened and he sent his son to die on the cross in our place. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we we're still sinners. This is one of the greatest verses in my New Testament. God loves the sinner. Don't forget that. Your neighbor that is a gnarl, your coworker that is just the nastiest human on the face of the planet, God loves them. He loves them. This verse proves that. Shouldn't we as God's children love that individual as gnarly as they are, that wretch that we used to be? And it's only by loving them with the love of God and sharing Jesus Christ that they'll ever have an opportunity to believe. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we've been given that opportunity to tell the world on the job, in our homes, at school, that Jesus loves them, that God is love. What a, it's such a beautiful thing. God's done it all. All we do is share. The cost of your sin, the cost of sin has always been death. And salvation should never be seen as, as anything less than costly for the Lord. His only son that he, he loves, God sent. Just like this story we're reading about Abraham and Isaac. Salvation cost the Lord Jesus his life on the Roman cross. Pain, agony. It's beyond comprehension. Why did he do it? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. That is love. And here's this verse in Isaiah 53. I get to teach this in a few months on Sunday night because we're going through Isaiah. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord, the Father, put all the sin of all the world, your sin and mine, on Jesus on the cross. And he died there willingly because, his, because of his great love for you. The cost of salvation is great. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led to, as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before a shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In the end, it was God who paid the great price so that you and I could believe and by faith be saved. By faith be saved. That's been God's plan all through the ages. We see it right here in the very first book. It's so important for you to understand that, church. There's so many people that get stuck on minutia in the New Testament. They get one little section of, and they just want to fight with other Christians rather than just going back to the basics, going back to Genesis and saying, what is it, Lord? It's all here in this book. That's why I love Genesis. The best book you can study as you grow in the Lord, you need to understand salvation, book of John. And then there's other things you need to learn, book of James. I love the book of James. It helps you along, make right decisions. But as you grow in the Lord, you've got to understand Genesis. It'll lead you. It'll help you. It'll guide you. So we have, here are my points real quick. The challenge of faith, the cost of faith, and my next one, the compliance. We're only in verse 3, so this might be two parts. Look at verse 3. So Abram rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood 
for the burnt offering, which 115-year-old man, I don't think he's splitting wood. I think the 15-year-old split the wood. I think the 15-year-old carried the wood. Isaac, who's going to be sacrifices, carrying wood, keep that in your brain. He gathered together all these things he needed to worship here, and he's going to obey the Lord. He's going to comply right away. He's going to do everything that God called him to do. Now, it's this place in history, the place that he's going to is really important in this part of the story because God planned all of this out, and I love this, because it's centuries later on this very same place, the Mount Moriah, that would be known as Mount Calvary, exact same mount. If you've been to Israel, thank God I've, I've had an opportunity to go, and if you have a chance to go, save, scrimp, Borrow, whatever it takes. Well, maybe not borrow, but, but <laughs> oh, no man and nothing, the Bible says. But, but go to Israel and go to these places and go to the Jerusalem, the most holy site of, of Jews and Christians. And, and you stand there in Jerusalem and Calvary's right there. You go to a place that they think was where Jesus was crucified. They call it Calvary, but it's right there. It's on the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah where they built the city of Jerusalem. Fascinating. That's where they're going here. That's, that's where he's, he's taking him to Mount Moriah. And that's the exact same place that Jesus would die on the cross to save humanity. It's, 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 it's too much of a coincidence, isn't it? My next point is the confidence of faith, verse 5. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And notice what he says, and we will come back to you. There's confidence in his voice. Why? Because he's gone through these trials. Because he's learned to walk with the Lord. He trusts God completely. Do you know that's where God wants to bring each one of us? I don't know where you are in your walk of faith. I don't know where you are in the difficulties you face. I don't know what it is that God says, I want that back now. I gave it to you. It blessed you. It was good. But now I want it back. I don't know what that is. But I'll bet you it's something you really struggle with. I can tell you it's happened in my life several times. And I can't tell you that I did what Abraham did either. I'm learning. I'm growing. But I love his confidence here. We will come back to you. And there's a couple of things I want to note here. Even though Abraham had come to this place to kill his son, he knows what he has to do. He's going to kill his son, his only son Isaac. He still sees that he's worshiping God. He's still trusting the Lord. And he's, going to, he's willing. He's willing to do whatever God asks him to do. This is what God wants from each of us. He wants this expression of, Lord, here I am. Where do you want me to go? Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? This is really interesting too. The church needs a Sunday school teacher. Oh, I'm not teaching Sunday school. Church needs a, a, a somebody to stand at the door and help out Bill, who heads up the ushers, and help out Rob. Oh, I, can, I could never do that. That's, a, that's commitment. I, I could never do that. Wow. Serving the Lord, listen, people, serving the Lord is, is, it's the greatest expression. It's the greatest joy you'll ever have, serving the Lord. I don't know what keeps you from doing it, but I would say don't, just let that go and start serving the Lord. There's opportunities to serve in all different areas. That's why we have the app. That's why we have the, the announcements. We want you to engage. We want you to be a participant because we know, I know that when you do that, you're going to have joy. <laughs> you're you're going to have joy. Like your pastor does, I love what I get to do. I love coming to work every day. Oh, I got a cold. And I, who cares? I love coming here and studying God's word. It's, it's such a blessing. Just don't touch me. <laughs> These two went alone now. They're two, Abraham and Isaac, they're climbing the mountain. They're going to this place of sacrifice. And Isaac's question to his father must have broken his heart. Look at verse 6. So Abraham took the wood, laid it on Isaac, his son. So here's carrying the wood. And he took a fire in his hand. I love this. Isaac is carrying wood up the hill, Mount Moriah. He took fire in his hand. I love that thought too. He didn't have to strike anything. His helpers built a fire. He's taking an ember with him. 
he, uh, they go up together, verse 7, but Isaac spoke to Abram, his father, and said, Father, here I am, my son. Um, look at the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He knows there's going to be an offering. He understands what's happening here. Abraham, as a faithful father who loves God, has been teaching him. He's teaching him about God, about God's provision, about God's one, and, and worshiping God, sacrificing. They've done it before. Isaac's seen sacrifice. He knows what it is. Father, where's the lamb for sacrifice? Abraham's answer is somewhat vague here. It's verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Can you imagine? Every step they take going up this hill, Abraham is looking. He's looking. He's, He's got a knife and he's got an ember. And Isaac's got a bunch of wood and they're climbing up this mountain. He's 115. He's, he's old. He's, I'm sure they're going real slow. Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And I'll bet you anything, Abraham's like, uh, God will provide. He's looking, looking. <laughs> I, I, I can just see him do this and they're, they're going up this hill. But there wasn't a sacrifice. And they finally get to the place and they build an altar and they arrange the wood. And I believe that Abraham still in his heart of hearts believes that God's going to provide, but he doesn't see a lamb. And, and, and that question, that question probably haunted him. It probably came back to him. Where, where's this lamb? This is my only son, Isaac. Throughout the Bible, Moses and David, Isaiah, they've all asked, where's the lamb? John the Baptist declared this, look at this scripture. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was Jesus Christ who was the Lamb that would be given to the world for a sacrifice. Here in verse 9, Isaac willingly lays down for his father on the, on the, can you imagine? His father says, son, lay down on the the wood. And Isaac knows what happens when something lays down on the wood. It's going to get a, a knife thrust through its heart. But he obeys his dad. It's, this is a fascinating story. He willingly lays his down on the, himself down on the altar. Sound familiar? Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross for you and I. And then verse 9, they came to the place God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, the place wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So here's the picture. His only son bound, tied up on the altar, and Abraham has a knife above his son's body. That's, that's where verse 10 leaves us. There's, there's nothing left in the story but for him to plunge the knife into his son's chest. That's where we're left here. Notice in verse 11, the provision of faith. This is is so good. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And why did he say it twice? He's 115. (laughs) I'm trying to think of what it sounded like. He's 115. It's like, I'm sure he's still looking. Where's the sacrifice? And, And the angel says, Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, wait, wait. <laughs> I can just see that, the, drum, the drama there. Maybe a, a thunder clash from heaven. I, I'm not really sure. Verse 12, and he said, do not lay your hand on the ladder. Do anything for him or to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. From me. This is, this is the Lord. You haven't held him from me. It's, it's so evident here that Abraham is willing to, to go through with this. He's willing to do and be obedient to God, even in thrusting a knife and killing his only son. And it was at that moment when he was willing, when he was in that place of obedience, that God came and he spoke to him and he relieved him of that. This is the provision of faith. 
God didn't stop the act of sacrifice, though. He just provided a substitute. Sound familiar? Verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Hmm. So Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead or in place of or substitutionary of his son. Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. Our God will provide. Listen, Christian, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what you're going through, but if you don't get tears from reading this story, you're thinking about work tomorrow. Stop it. (laughs) Be here now and listen to this. God has a message for each of us as we read this story. There's something here for you. God can and will provide when you walk by faith, when you trust him, when you're willing as his servant is. I love this. Abraham didn't name the hill in reference to what he went through. He didn't call it trial hill. He didn't call it agony or obedience hill. He didn't call it that. He called it in reference to what God had done. Jehovah, Jireh, God my provider. I love that truth there. He named it not even knowing God would provide the ultimate sacrifice of salvation. Years and years later, Jerusalem sits on Mount Moriah, as I've said. Let me just show you real quick. Second Corinthians or Second Chronicles 3.1. Here it is. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on, here it is, Mount Moriah. I know that you're asking, how do you know that, Pastor Lee? How do you know that? It's in the scriptures. Isn't that an amazing coincidence, by the way? <laughs> I'm glad to hear you laugh a little bit. Another, another wonderful thought about this event is it's, it's a prophecy of Jesus. It really is. It's pre-picturing what will come and God's ultimate sacrifice giving his, his son. But here's, here's something I... I, I don't know how many of you knew this. I, I'm wondering how many of you really have known this or been taught. I honestly didn't really know this until I got into my study further this week. But here's the, the truth of it. Jesus went to the cross and he rose on the what day? Look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15.4. And that he was buried and that he rose again, notice, The third day, according to the scriptures. Where in the scriptures does it say that Jesus would rise on the third? Where does it say that? Genesis 22. It's right here. This is how we know. The question is, where does it say here in the Old Testament that Messiah would rise on the third day? It's right here in Genesis 22. Follow me through this. Genesis 22, verse 3. Look at verse 3. The first day, Abraham starts his journey to Moriah with Isaac. And he knows he's got to be sacrificed. Then notice verse 4. On the what day? Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. It's the third day that Isaac was made alive. It was the third day that he rose. He was bound and he was just about to be killed. He arose from that position of sacrifice, right? Because of the lamb, because of that substitute there. This is where Isaac is a snapshot, a picture of, he pre-pictures the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Both were loved by their father. Both offered themselves willingly. Both carried wood. Remember I told you to keep that in your mind. They both carried wood up to the place of sacrifice. They were both sacrificed on the exact same hill. They were both delivered from death on the third day. Coincidence? Or prophecy. Don't you love the Bible? Don't you just love the Bible? This is, this is awesome, guys. I love this. Okay, let me go over my points really quick. What, 820, okay, I've got time. The challenge of faith, the cost of faith, the compliance of faith, the confidence of faith, and then the provision of faith. But there's one more scene in this chapter that's really important, and it's the blessings. The blessings of faith, the blessings of obedience. Here it is. I love this. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. 
and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which was on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed here it is here's the prophecy of Jesus in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice God called a pagan, gnarly, wretched man from a sinful, idol-worshiping people. And he called him, and Abraham stumbled, and he bumbled around in his walk of faith until he grew. And after trial, after test, after trial, he grew in his faith, just like you and I are growing in our faith. Till one day, God asks him to make that ultimate sacrifice, giving him the ultimate test. And he willingly, unselfishly obeys the Lord. And because of that, the blessings comes to him and his family. And the promised seed. Who's the promised seed? How many know the promised seed? It's Jesus. Jesus was a Jew, right? This is God's, he's, he's made his own special people. He set them apart. They dress different. They eat different food. Remember, the Jews eat different food. They don't eat food that Gentiles eat. Remember Peter and the sheet and, and eat this food. And Peter, I would never eat that food, Lord. You never do that. God called his special people out because he is going to dispense his grace to the world through his, this man's seed, Jesus Christ comes from the Jewish people. That's, that's the promise right there. In your seed, verse 18, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Haven't the nations of the earth been blessed by Jesus? You can go to any nation of the earth and tell them about Jesus Christ. And any people can come to faith in Jesus Christ by believing, by believing. That's why we send missionaries out. That's why we knock on doors. That's why we tell people about, because by believing, it's accounted to you as righteousness, just like it was for Abraham, just like it is for us in Christ. Isn't that glorious? It's all done. It's prepackaged. It's perfect. All we have to do is open our mouth and share Christ. That's all. I love this story. So Abraham returned to his young men, verse 19, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt there in Beersheba. Again, this is amazing. God intended to bless Abraham from the beginning. This has always been God's plan. It just took him a while to get there. Why? Because of Abraham was unwilling. And through tests and trials, he grew. He, got, he learned more and more and more until finally God gave him the ultimate test and then the blessings. Just, this is a rich and wealthy man already. And he just, now he's blessing him beyond compare. And, and it's at the end of Abraham's life. But can you imagine how happy he is, how joyful he is, how, how blessed and, and encouraged he is at this. But notice that the angel of the Lord said, and I, I love this in verse 12, now I know that you fear God, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice. Right up until the point of plunging that knife in his only son's chest, he was willing. That's the important point here. And God knows, Abraham knows, Isaac knows, we all know that Abraham believed God and Abraham wanted to please God. Here's the application. Again, this text is so profound. It's so amazing. It's so prophetic in, in all of its, in its sphere. It's just so beautiful. When we read that, here's, here's what it means to you and I today. Here's the application for us. It means that just like Abraham, your faith will be Tested. It's going to be tested. You can bank on that. Oh, Pastor Lee, why did you tell me that? I'm pretty happy right now. Nothing's going wrong. I'm, I'm just saying, thanking God. You know, I've got a home and a job right now. But it's because God loves you that he's going to test you because he has a purpose for your life. Do you want to just sit and ignore and be unwilling and not get the blessing? Or do you want to be obedient and pliable and, and, and just willing to what God, for what God wants you to do and be blessed because of it. Be a blessing to your family. Be a blessing to your kids. Be a blessing to your neighbors and your job and your the school, the people you go to school with. 
you have this opportunity to be such a, a, a rich blessing to others by being obedient. Here's, here's my closing question for you tonight. What do you possess today that God didn't give you? What do you have right now that God didn't give you? Well, I, I worked for that car. Where'd you get the job? Where'd you get the knowledge to get the job? I mean, think about it, guys. Isn't everything that we have a blessing from the Lord? I mean, really? So what do you possess today that God didn't give you? Because he's good. He only gives you good things. Life and health and friends and money and success and marriage and the children. The list goes on in a home, a good job, whatever it might be. But when our hands are finally full, when God gets us to a place where we, we even become comfortable with these things, that's when God says, Sarah, Lily, Lee, Robert, Mike, that's when God says, I want that back now. I want you to give it back to me. Oh, well, Lord, I, I got home. I've got all these possessions. These are all mine. Well, God, you gave me. I'm, I'm holding on. And God says, reach out your hand and take mine. I, I have something more for you. Well, uh, no, God, I, I don't want to give up these things. I don't want to give away my health. I don't want to give away my, all the things that I have. I, I like these things. I like my car. I like my home. I like where I live. And God says, I want it. I, this is what I want from you. That's happened to me in my life. Where I, I, I got something that was pretty big at monetarily value. It was pretty big. And God said, I want that. And I still remember to this day when I went home and I told Esther, I said, honey, I've been praying and the Lord wants this. And she was kind of like, I know. But we were kind of planning on, I know. What do we should do? We should be willing. Okay, and we gave it to the Lord. And the Lord has blessed me. The Lord will bless you if you just give it to him. You need to release it to him. I don't know what it is. Here's the question, another probing question. What is it that you're holding on so tightly that it's become an idol to you and you're not willing to let it go? What is it? This man started an idol worshiper. And through a life of, of faith and trials and testing and obedience, he became the one that gave it all away, his beloved son. What is it that you have that God wants you to give back to him? You might be a young person living in a home, so you don't have that much. You've got a car. That's not what I'm talking about. Gee, Dad, should I sell my car and get the money? No, no, I'm not saying that. What is it? that God wants from you tonight. There's something. I want to take a moment. I know it's late. It's 829, but I want to take a moment, turn the lights down, and just have a time of just let's pray about that before we leave. The worship team will come up, and they're going to lead us in one more song. But I, I just want you to, to just bow your head and ask the Lord. Even You could even say, Lord, this is really hard to give up this person that's in my life that I'm not married to yet, but, but maybe you want me to give that person up. And Lord, maybe it's money. I don't know. And God has called you to do something, something unusual, something that would only give him glory. Maybe it's time, service. You've been really stingy when it comes to time. It's my time. I'm at a place where I control my time. And God says, you know what? I, I want you to give me that time to serve in the nursery. I want to give that time to come and help out Sunday morning in some capacity. To come early Wednesday night and clean. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe God's calling you to give it up. And use your time to serve the Lord and serve others. You might be in the middle of a great struggle in your life and you feel just pressured about something you don't want to give up. You've got to give it up. Your joy will, will just be so much greater than the pain you're feeling right now when you give it to the Lord. Father, I pray for these, your people.
no idea what they're going through, but I'm sure that your Holy Spirit is working. We just want to give it all to you, Lord. We want to give our lives to you, Lord. Forever we will say, have your way. Have your way. My whole life is yours. I give it all surrendered to your name, O oh Lord.